As you know, on Sunday nights this summer, we have asked each of the pastors on our staff, as well as our student intern, our mission pastor, to come and share God's Word. And tonight marks the last of the group to share. Uh, Todd Mayno will be coming in just a moment and sharing God's Word with us. Have you enjoyed hearing these men that God has put among us? I have too, and as much as I enjoy teaching and preaching and sharing God's Word, it is a blessing for me to get to sit and open my, my Bible and listen to God's voice as He speaks through someone else, and so it's been a blessing to, uh, to me as well. You know, since, um, well, January of this year, we have, uh, or November of last year, we have seen the Lord put among us three brand new pastors, beginning with Mike, and then Dustin started full-time. He actually started in August part-time. He started full-time in January, and then in April, I think it was, uh, Todd and his family came and joined us. You know, that is a lot of new people in leadership coming at once. And so Todd mentioned something important in terms of still getting to know one another. That's as true among the staff as it is as well between the staff, the new staff, pastors, and the church. Uh, I have shared the story of how God uh, led me to talk with Todd, but I want to just underscore something in this process. Uh, we have, um, there, were, there was a period of time where I was searching, and I was doing what I normally do and what I have done for years with uh, when I worked at the Arkansas Baptist State Convention, we had about 75 uh, staff members. Typically with each position, this is gonna sound maybe odd to you, but with each position, I tend to write down over time two or three or four names of persons that if that person ever left, uh, these are persons that might be someone that God would bring and fill those positions. It's not that I'm trying to get anyone to leave, it's a pain. <laughs> when people leave and, uh, and then you have to replace them. But I would do that. And so when someone would leave, I'd begin praying through that list and, and then invariably God would lead us to the right person. And so bringing that habit to Win Baptist Church, when our positions became vacant, I found myself taking that same approach. And, um, and Dustin's story is special and I've, I've shared that story. Mike's story is special. And, um, and with Todd, as I kind of went through those lists of names, uh, Todd was not on that list. He wasn't. And there were, there were other names on that list. And I, I went through those names and I talked to different persons and, and the Lord kept closing the door very firmly on each of those names. And I just sensed that it was one of those times where the Lord was saying, Don, you have to wait on me. And so I did that. And we always need to wait on him, but it was one of those things sorting through, you know, a standard process. He chose to work in a different way. And so I did that. And it was somewhere in mid-December that I found myself just saying, I can't do this. This is out of my hands, Lord. And I know you have someone in mind, so we're going to just wait and see. And, and I'm in that posture right now with our last position that's still vacant, and so I invite your prayers to the Lord for who he has in mind for that position. In January, you'll recall that 
that we commissioned Chance a Newborn to begin the new work in Four City, which, by the way, they had their highest attendance today at Fellowship Community Church. Seventy-three people came to worship. And five people joined the church this morning. And so we are experiencing a work of God in Four City, and we're thanful for that. But in that service, uh, Chanson and Todd had become friends, and Todd came that night and was sitting in the balcony, and I didn't know he was there. I had met Todd and Jennifer uh, some years earlier when they first came into Arkansas. And so after the service, Todd came down, stood right there, not far from where he's sitting, and he came up. He said, Don, I don't know if you remember me. I said, sure I do. And, and, um, and at that moment, you just need to know how the Lord works. At that instant, you wonder, how does God speak to people? If you've always wondered how he speaks. Uh, sometimes we, we give words because he gives a very clear picture in your heart and mind. And at that very moment, intuitively, I knew the Lord was saying to speak to Todd about that position. Now, he was, he was a pastor. He had no particular background as a children's pastor. And the more we began to talk, we began to discover some things. For example, we discovered that last summer, and in previous summers, Todd, as a pastor of a church, had been taking children to camp. On Wednesday nights, he had led a ministry to kids in the church where he was the pastor, the senior pastor. And last summer, uh, walking across uh, camp, uh, he prayed because of the restlessness in his own heart. And he prayed about a position that would be a pastor to children and to families and heard a speaker get up. Um, someone that we both know, Matt Norton. And Matt got up and spoke, and, and he said how he had been a pastor. And I knew Matt. He had been pastor at First Pine Bluff, and God had con convinced him that he was being called to be a pastor to children and the families. And Todd heard that, and he began praying with Jennifer, and they began having that conversation. So when Todd and I went to lunch, and I said, hey, Todd, I got something I want you to pray about. Would you pray about coming as our pastor of children and families? And you see what the Lord has done. And we are grateful. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15, in talking about spiritual gifts, the apostle writes that the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body. Is it not therefore the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? And then verse 18, but now God has set the members, each one of them, Todd and you and you and you. God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased, and he didn't need my list to do it. Would you welcome Todd? You know, I know, I know that story because <laughs> that's my story. It overwhelms me every time I think about it. I can't even communicate how much that overwhelms me. 
to look and back and see the thread of God's hand and that thread of God's work and interaction. Um, I'm so grateful and thankful. I am very much. And it is a, it's an absolute delight to serve with the staff here. It really is. I have enjoyed it so much. Um, we've gotten to the point where they can pick on me now, which uh, I'm glad because that means that we're being vulnerable with each other. But your staff uh, loves you very much. And this staff loves this church very much. And we laugh together. We chat together. We, we eat together. We pray together. We spend time together. And it is just one for me personally, and maybe it's selfish, but it's just such one of the most rewarding things for me personally and my soul to be serving with the staff here at Wynn Baptist Church. You just, you don't even know. You just, I mean, maybe, maybe you think you do, but you don't even know. It is such an amazing thing. It really is, and I'm very thankful and, and grateful to be here. Um, did you, you like the belly flop up there? Yeah, I was known as belly flop guy. Uh, at camp this week, and the first time I did that, I didn't have my shirt on, and um, I have a scar, you don't know this maybe, but I have a scar, it's about 10 inches across my stomach, and so, you know, it's, it's just the perfect opportunity to tell kids that that came from doing belly busters, you know, because it's like, yeah, man, dude, I just busted the belly open, and all, you know, everything fell out right in the pool, you know, and kids are, they're like, what? Oh, are you serious, you know, and so it's just, you know, then you have to kind of come clean with them. But, man, they, it's fun for a moment when it happens, you know. But, and as I figure it, we're supposed to go home right about now. Because the last, last time I preached, I think I preached for 40 minutes, I think. So if we close up shop now, I should be good on the average for two services. If, I, if I'm not mistaken, I don't know. Um, <laughs> let, me get, let me get serious a little bit here. Uh, I'm going to have you turn in your Bibles to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, if you will. <clears throat> and while you're doing that, let me, let, me just, let me tell you about a little experience that I had this past week. It was a personal experience. And uh, I was sitting in a leader meeting um, that they had in the afternoon. And in this leader meeting, it's one of these meetings that's not uncommon to a camp situation where you provide names of children that you'd like to pray for. And, um, you know, maybe with your group, maybe there's a special need, there's a spiritual concern, maybe there's a tough thing that you know about at home, whatever it is, and it's, it's confined to that room, and you don't give details, but you just, you give a name, and uh, that's, that's what we did. And uh, we sat there, and different leaders gave off names and rattled off maybe one or two from their group, and the, the guy, the camp director was jotting them down, and he was, you know, assuring us that he would continue to pray for those names until we told him otherwise, uh, for as long as that took, and I, I believe that will be true. And then we went into the prayer time, and that prayer time was an interesting thing because he prayed for those names, um, and he prayed for those names individually. I mean, he specifically went through the list of names, but he didn't take a name and then read, he didn't read the name and then say a prayer for that name so much as he took his list and began to read the names. And what struck me about this is that I'm sitting there in prayer and it almost brought me to tears. Um, began to, I really almost, I fought it back because this was day one, and I didn't want all the leaders to see me, you know, you know tearing up because I'm kind of, get kind of emotional sometimes. And I'm hearing these names one after the other, 
And again, it's, it's like I've said earlier, the sea of children you see throughout camp. And so now I'm hearing these names. And what it sounds like to me, it sounds like what you see when you, when you watch television and all of a sudden there's a memorial service for the 9-11 victims. And you see the people take turns standing up there and they're just reading those names. You know, or maybe there's a plane crash and there's a memorial for that. And people are just reading those names. And so what you have is this moment where everybody's being, being silent and everybody is in a time of meditation and you're hearing these names read one after the other. And I know that we hear names read at things like celebrations, like graduations or accomplishments or award ceremonies, but in this moment, in this moment of prayer, hearing those names read sounded so much like a memorial to me, it began to make me hurt inside. Because all I could think about is these children... These children are on the beginnings of their lives. They're on the front part of their lives. And I'm projecting far down the road thinking, where are they going to be? Where are they going to be when they're 20 years old? Where are they going to be, where are they going to be when they're 25 and 30 and 40? What are their lives going to look like? And so the backside of that is we're hearing these names read one by one about children who are still on the early side of their lives. They're still on that beginning part of their lives. You see, they're not, they're not there just yet. They're not a lost cause. They are not 50 years old wrestling with their faith yet. They are in the fourth grade and the fifth grade and the sixth grade and someone brought them to Siloam Springs Camp for that week. And for that week, and for however long, their name is being read and prayed for. And so I begin to weep inside. And yet at the same time get excited. Begin to pray for those names and repeat them in my mind as they were being read out loud. You see, there's a value with the experience with God that settings like camp lends itself to. You see, those kids were in a spot where they were probably in the, the ripest spot of, of learning that maybe they'd be in all year long. It's an environment that's bent towards their walk with God. It's bent towards them coming to know the Lord. It's bent towards teaching them to have a devotion, to have a quiet time, to go to worship, to express themselves in worship. You see, and that environment is conducive to a response. It's setting the tone. And it's a tone that we often forget about. We appreciate in here and in this moment and in this, this hour of time that we spend in worship. But, you know, at camp all week long, it's happening from morning until evening. And there's teaching moments all day long and late into the night before they even go to sleep. And so that whole week is set and bent towards children coming to Jesus. So if you're with me in the book of Mark, chapter 10, I'd like to read verses 13 through 16. The Word of God says this, And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children, or let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, 
For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, in verse 15, he says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms, and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. Let's pray. Father God, once again, I just ask you, I plead with you, and give me words to speak. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. I'm not real good with alliteration, but I do have four C's. Did I say four? Four C's for you tonight. The first one is the context. The context in verse 13, it says, They were bringing children to him that he might touch them. So it sets this tone. We have this understanding of what's going on. There's Jesus, and there's children, and there's their parents, and they are bringing the children to Jesus specifically at this particular time. And this was a common practice of the day. I mean, Jesus was a teacher. He was a master teacher. He'd been teaching well on into his ministry at this point. And it was a common practice of the day to bring children to a rabbi and have that rabbi touch them. It's you know, much like maybe, you, maybe not necessarily the best comparison, but it's much like when you see the Pope walking along and, and touching and doing all of that. Well, they would bring the children to the rabbi. The rabbi would lay a hand on them and touch them as a blessing to that child or to that person. So it wasn't an uncommon thing to happen. And so they were doing this with Jesus. And this is a point in his ministry that he's already, he's already started quite a stir. He's well on into it enough to have been teaching some tough teachings, bringing some things to people's mind that maybe they hadn't thought of before. He's been doing the most amazing miracles. He's proving his worth. And there's a buzz. There's a buzz about Jesus. He was becoming more and more known by the general public. And people want to see what this Jesus is all about. We want to see what his teaching is all about. What is so special about this Jesus? His miracles had certainly drawn attention. They would gather around to see and hear what he had to say. Perhaps they had heard of the feeding, uh, the feeding of others. They had seen the healings of Jesus on other people. And he was teaching things that, you know, that made sense but were foreign ideas to them. But Jesus was electric. And he drew a crowd they drew a crowd of seekers. And on the public opinion poll, he was, he was climbing. He was climbing higher and higher and higher. But then there's the conflict. So you have the context, and then you have the conflict in verse 13. But what happens? His bodyguards come in, and they rebuke them. People are bringing the children to Jesus, and the disciples come in, and they rebuke them. So we have to ask the question, why is this? Why, if it's a common practice, why were they doing that? And perhaps it's because they thought he was too busy. I mean, his, his fame was spreading. More and more people were coming. He's being swarmed. It's a crowd. Nothing draws a crowd like a crowd. And then there's all these people getting in the way, bringing these children into Jesus. And so the disciples step out and step in, and they, they rebuke them and say, no, don't do that. And perhaps they thought Jesus was above that. Maybe they thought Jesus was more important than to spend time with children. After all, adults have much more demanding concerns in life. Much more that needs attention than these children. So what did they see? Well, I think they saw inconvenience. Perhaps they saw 
that inconvenience. It's inconvenient to take the time for these children to come to Jesus. All right, you can touch 20 kids and that's it. We're going to move on. Touch 50, that's it. All right, this is too many. Get out of here. This, we've got more things to do. We're traveling this way. We're going on our way. He's got people to see. He's got people to heal. He's got people to feed. He's got time he wants to spend alone. We cannot have all this. It's inconvenient. It's also chaotic. We can't control this. This is madness. It's chaotic. It's inconvenient. It's messy. Everybody knows that children are messy and smelly. Very very smelly in a cinder block room full of bunk beds, by the way. So it's inconvenient, it's chaotic, it's also messy and noisy. Maybe these are among the reasons that they stepped in and decided to usurp Jesus' authority, you know? Coming in saying, no, get back. They rebuked them. Those are incidentally all reasons I didn't want to have children myself. Tell you the truth, inconvenient, chaotic, messy, and noisy. I've been to a lot of camps over the years, as I mentioned before, in a lot of different places, and some of those places have been better to children than others. I've been to places where they did not want us to be there. And I don't mean the, I don't mean the camp organized staff, I mean the facility staff, the kitchen staff, the maintenance staff, um, the, the grounds crew, whoever it was, you could tell clearly they did not want us on campus. They did not want us on site. And you could see that expressed to the children, which caused all kinds of intimidation, inhibition, concern. You hear things like, that lady doesn't like me, coming from a child. And then I've been to places, and Siloam is one of them. Washita is one of them. I've been to places where the staff is so, I mean, they are so in tune with those children. And I, if you've ever seen dining hall time at any camp, any kid's camp, it is the most messy, chaotic thing you've ever seen in your life. It's ridiculous. You know, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I'm so glad I'm not the cleanup staff here. It's just, it's insane. Now, I've seen kids try to get ice cream, and it builds up here, and they don't know how to switch the thing off, and so it's, it's going taller and taller, and then they stick their hand under there, and there's this string of ice cream that runs over here, and it's piling it up in their hand, and they just don't know what to do, and of course, you know, I'm being a jerk, because I'm, I'm like, that's funny, look at that, you know, <laughs> instead of going over there and turning it off. You know, so it's that kind of stuff, and I've seen staff come in and say, oh, that's okay, sweetheart, that's okay, you just, here, let me have all this ice cream, I'll throw this part away, and you go eat that cone. And just loving on those babies. This conflict that perhaps they were experiencing with Jesus is all too familiar to most of us. In fact, it's likely that we would have had the exact same attitude. I mean, think about how easy it is to shove off our children in the midst of our own chaotic and noisy lives. I mean, adults, we tend to get so focused on what makes our own earthly lives feel better, right? Or what it makes... Our lives will feel more comfortable or more convenient. And in the meantime, there's a multitude of children, a sea of children that are getting caught up in the wake and undertow of our misguided direction as adults. Jesus was busy. There's no doubt, no question. The disciples were busy. There's no doubt they were exhausted. The world itself is busy. And yet Jesus took the time. He took the time 
to tend to them. Parents may never be more like Jesus than the moment we stop what we're doing to tend to the spiritual needs of our child. Sometimes that's as simple as getting off Facebook. Sometimes it's not that simple, and yet it's as equally important. The third C would be the correction. Verse 14, when Jesus saw it, and I love this, when Jesus saw it, it's almost as if Jesus is clueless. It's like he's just hanging around and doesn't realize what's going on. But Jesus, you know, he knows what's going on all around him. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant. He said, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. So he stops what he's doing to rebuke his disciples. To say, no, 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 no. And indignant here, I mean, this can be, I mean, this can be angry. I mean, extreme anger. It can be anything from just a disgust to an extreme anger. And Jesus was, was indignant with his, with his own disciples. Like, no, we're not doing this. And I picture this moment of overpowering chaos and crowds closing in and Jesus either walking or standing or sitting somewhere. And I picture him in this moment of, of just personal ecstasy as he's spending time ministering to people and he's holding children and touching them and seeing them. And then he catches out of the corner of his eye his disciples shooing them all away pushing them away from Jesus. It's the same word describing, this indignant that is, it's the same word describing the disciples when a woman came and broke expensive perfume and anointed Jesus' head. Remember, a few of them got upset because that was expensive perfume. How dare you do that? It's the same feeling that the synagogue officials expressed at Jesus himself when he was healing on the Sabbath. How dare you do that? Who do you think you are? So as I mentioned, this indignation is at least disgust or possibly extreme anger. But do you think it's fair to say that hindering others angers God? I would say yes. Hindering others does in fact anger God. And Jesus said it would be better to have a millstone tied around your neck and be thrown into the depths of the water than to cause someone to sin. To be a hindrance to somebody's walk with the Lord. To be a hindrance to somebody's progress with Jesus. And Jesus also said woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks. For it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come. But woe to the man through whom that stumbling block comes in Matthew 18. Woe to that man. Woe to the person through whom the stumbling block comes. So we see clearly why Jesus would stop and say, no, do not hinder those children from coming to me. I think it is fair to say that hindering others angers God. Let me tell you, somewhere in Wynn, Arkansas, perhaps in this church, a, a child is hindered from attending church because mom and dad don't feel like going. That's a hindrance. Somewhere in Wynn, Arkansas, a child, and possibly in this church, is, is hindered from seeing the example of Christ's love for the church because the example of relationships they see at home is selfishly tarnished by their parents. And so they don't make the connection of mom and dad and the beauty of marriage and that of the bride and the bridegroom, that's a hindrance to that child. 
Somewhere in Wynn, Arkansas, and perhaps even in this church, a child is hindered from understanding the love of the father because the love expressed from an earthly father is warped or even non-existent. Somewhere in Wynn, Arkansas, and perhaps in our church, a child is not taught to love God with all their heart, soul, and mind because at home, everyone is lost. And they're hindered. Somewhere in Arkansas, perhaps in our church, a child is hindered from learning more about Jesus because someone won't respond to God and feel a need to serve in the children's ministry of Wynn Baptist Church. Yeah, I know, I slipped that one in there. But it can be a hindrance. It can, us, it can be us being a hindrance to a child who needs to get to Jesus, who needs to walk closer to Jesus, who needs to serve Jesus. So then we have the clarification. The clarification, Jesus goes on and says in 15, and I love what he does here, he says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them, This is not to say that he gathered up all his disciples and said, come on here, my buddies, get up in my arms. Let me bless you in your moment of misunderstanding. No, he took the children up in his arms and he blessed them. He said, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And what is universal to all children? Well, dependency, for one. From the moment they come out of the womb, there's a dependency. It actually starts in the womb, a dependency upon mother. They come out of the womb and dependent on somebody to feed them, someone to care for them, someone to tend to them, someone to see to their needs. Something else that's universal to all children is a total and blind faith and a trust. That's why they're such, they're such a target for predators, because there's a blind faith that children have. There's a trust that they exhibit that hasn't been, it hasn't been tainted yet. At least not yet. That tainting seems to come earlier and earlier these days. They seem to have a response without question. They seem to have a response that is a response of trust in taking you at your word. They also have an anticipation about them an anticipation of what's next and what's coming. And I love that about children. And Jesus says, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So we should receive that kingdom in all dependency with a faith, a total faith, a total trust. Without question, not meaning that we check our intellect out, but that we trust that what God says is the truth. It's the word of God. It does not change. It is without error. And it is there for our benefit and his glory. And with anticipation of all that he has to offer, all that he has to bring, and all that he has to give us with his blessing, and then all that is to come when we leave this earth, the anticipation of heaven, the anticipation of being with him in glory, the anticipation of being wrapped in his arms. One of the things I've discovered about being a father, and I love this very much, is 
the lessons I learned from my children. We were talking about this at our 242 group just a, a few weeks ago. And one of the things I have learned about the importance of a quiet time is I've learned it in the process of my quiet time. I've been sitting out in the in this, we have this little courtyard thing that's outside of our door, and I'll sit on the, the park bench under a tree and read my Bible. And inevitably, one of my children wakes up early enough to join me in the morning. You know, they don't plan to do it. They just happen to wake up, and I'm sitting out there, and I'm reading, and they'll come out. And it's amazing because my children can be chaotic. They can be loud. They can be noisy. They are messy. There are a lot of things. But in that moment of time, in that in that. 30 minutes or so of time, I'm sitting there on that park bench, whoever it is just sits down beside me just to be with me. Two things happen. They see me reading my Bible, which is a beautiful thing. But it helps me understand how God must feel that I take the time to go and just be with the Father. Just be with God. If I feel that way as a father, when one of my children sits next to me, just in that quiet moment, how does God feel when we do that? I've also discovered that, like us, children will run full speed away. And I noticed this with our, our firstborn, when he began to really toddle and walk and, and run. You know, my stride is about six of his and so he might run full throttle in that direction. And he's wide open. I mean, he's going as fast as his little legs can go. But because I'm, I'm one stride to his sixth, I'm right there behind him every single time. And what's amazing is when he discovers he's run so far away and he thinks he's running away from dad and he turns around and I'm right there. And I think it's the same way with us and God. We run full throttle away from Jesus. We run full throttle away from what he is uh, asking us and calling us or drawing us or compelling us to do. And the moment we submit, the moment that we have that conviction and we turn, man, he's right there. Because his strides so outstretch our own. But one of my favorite things, my favorite things, it's my favorite quote in all the world, it's two words. Daddy's home. Daddy's home. And I walk in that door, and it doesn't matter if I've been gone a week or if I've been gone a day. I walk in that door, and I open the door, and somebody inevitably is going to run up and say, Daddy's home! And they're going to jump up in my arms and hold me and grab a hold tight. And I think, oh my goodness, how in the world? You know, God created our emotions and they're there for us to certainly experience. And God is certainly an emotional God as well. He can be grieved and angered. He can, and Jesus wept. How must it make him feel to be so anxious and have such anticipation to be with him? Daddy's home and to be with our Father. Jesus took them and embraced them. He took them and embraced them. He immediately took that situation and turned it into an object lesson. He immediately shifted gears so that everybody could see and understand the intentions of his teaching, the intentions of his purpose. He embraced those children 
And you see, the picture here is beyond just touching a child. If it's customary and if it was cultural and the, the concept of the day to bring your child to a rabbi, a master teacher, to have them touch them, they would just simply touch them for this blessing. Sure, I bring this blessing to you. But what Jesus does in this moment, what Jesus does is he takes those children and he takes them up into his arms and he holds them, demonstrating two things there's a coming in to the kingdom. There is a coming in and being a part of Jesus. And there's also this blessing that comes from Jesus. And he takes it that one step further and turns that whole thing into this object lesson. Because that's how God wants to relate to every single one of us in a full embrace, a full face on, in your face embrace and it's us that turn around it's us that face the other direction and all the while he's got his arms wrapped around like you're here this is my kingdom you've got to trust me you've got to anticipate me you've got to believe me hold to me so tonight as we draw to a close Maybe you're one who is astray from God. Maybe you're one who's just never encountered that embrace at all. Maybe you're one here tonight and you have never, <laughs> if I may pull the illustration from camp, you've never rung that bell because God just hadn't rung your bell yet. And maybe tonight, God's ringing the bell of your heart saying, I want you to be mine I want to embrace you. I want you to come to me. I want you to come to me in full trust. And maybe that's you tonight. Or maybe you're here tonight and you're one who's been a hindrance. Hmm. A hindrance to another. And that song, uh, and that song you sang this morning, Elaine, you know, my sin runs deep. Is that the words? Am I right? My sin runs deep. Man, that struck a chord with me this morning. You know, I just think, you know, how deep a cut can be. How deep a wound can be. And I think, man, how deep my sin runs. You know, maybe the depth of your sin is causing you to be a hindrance to another. And maybe that is even your own child. It's in your own family. It's with your spouse. And maybe that's you tonight and maybe God's calling you to ring the bell of repentance to ring the bell of repentance tonight or maybe you're just like that toddler running full throttle away from the Lord which incidentally is also repentance but God's saying just look slow down turn back this way and let's walk together let's run together Maybe that's you. Whatever it is that God has placed on your heart, we're going to have a time of prayer. And that's a time for you, you to do things that you need to do to respond to God. I'm going to do two things during this prayer. First, I'm going to read the names of the children that went to camp. That's going to be the first part of my prayer. They represent the children of this church. Not all our children got to go to camp this year. 
I'm not excluding any of, the, any of them by not reading their names, but these are the people that went to camp this year, and I'm going to read their names aloud as part of my prayer. And then I will pray, and we will stand, and we will have our time of commitment. Let's pray. Cooter, Parker, Griffin, William, Ryan, Mark, Ryan, Kason, Miguel, Andrew, Zachary, Connie, Hannah, Kaylee, Mackenzie, Briley, Macy, Dallas, Macy, Hannah, Riley, Emily, Lydia, and TJ. Father God, we come to you, and Lord, I thank you for the week we've had. God, I thank you for your word all week. Lord, I thank you for your presence all week. God, I thank you for your presence here tonight. God, I've prayed for these names. I lift them up before you, but Father, they represent so many. God, they represent a sea of children in this ocean that we call our world. And God, the undertow is strong. And the current rushes fast. God, I pray as a church, we do not hinder them. Father, I pray as individuals, in our families, in our jobs. There are some areas of service here, Lord, that we not be a hindrance to your work and what you want done. God, may we repent of that. Father, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.